powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Here we are once again on the Mighty Podcast, Better Than Before. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Richards. You're who you are. And we also have Bill Foster and Whitney Coker again on our show. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. Good. Doing well. Doing good. Welcome to June. And um, our our content theme at our company this month is communication. So we're going to be talking about some communication stuff today. We're going to have a communication pie chart exercise coming up in just a couple of minutes. So you can, just to build your anticipation, we are not changing our name of our show. We had somebody write in and ask us if we were changing the name of our show and no, we're not changing it to two old guys and a millennial. We're going to keep the <laughs> we're going to keep the name better than before. Well, I mean, is this up for discussion? Uh, no, 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 it's not. Uh, but but anyway, I love suggestions. Keep them coming. <laughs> no, good call. And we we want to have our audience be very interactive with the show. I mean, Bill and Whitney are checking our email every single day, waiting for you to email us questions, comments, or discussion points, info, I-N-F-O, at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Or you can uh, message me on Twitter, uh, post your question or comment, and use the hashtag better than before. We will make it part of our show. And we want people to be involved in the show. We love hearing from the audience. I'm not kidding you. Bill and Whitney check that email every single day in anticipation of an email (laughs) pouring in. Also, we have the Exponential Leadership Retreat coming up at the end of this month. It's getting close to time to close registration, and I don't want you to miss it. We've sold a few seats in there, but we still have a couple open, and uh, it's a three-day event. It's possibly the only three-day workshop event we will do this year, and I want to see you there because you would not believe the wonderful stories that come out of this three-day workshop experience. So for the next week or so, I'm going to go a little bit more in depth on each day of the exponential leadership retreat. And so I'll start today with day one. Day one is going to be phenomenal because it's primarily going to be focused on you, the participant. We're going to go through a lot of the data that we collect from you prior to you coming to the workshop. We're going to learn all about your behavior styles. We're going to learn all about your driving forces and motivations. There are several things there and several exercises we'll do. Nobody knows you like you, but you will know you at a very deep level at the end of day number one. So I want you to be a part of that. And people seem to enjoy the very first part of day one where I talk about killing the daily dragon. So every day when you get up, there's going to be dragons that are going to face you, that are going to be in your way for you accomplishing the day that you want to accomplish. And so I'm going to give you some identification points so you can start to identify what that dragon looks like when he shows up in your day every day and some tools for killing that sucker. Because I'll tell you what, the dragon never takes a day off. Dragons there every single day, and your job is it's you against the dragon, and uh, you got to kill those dragons every day, you dragon slayer, you, in order to have the day you want to have. Because here's the thing. 
The other day, I think I calculated, it's been a while ago, so I think my number is somewhere around 20,000. But I've lived around 20,000 days on this earth so far. That could be a little or that could be a lot, I guess, depending on your perspective. Here's what I know. Days are expensive. And the reason they're expensive is because when they're gone, they're gone. You don't get them back. Once you've lived a day, you don't get that day back. And we never actually know how many days we get. So you got to maximize every single day to its full potential. And why wouldn't you want to get the most out of your day? And don't misunderstand me. If today has been a day that you've designated as a day to rest and have recreation and relax, you need to go after that relaxation and recreation with a laser focus. I mean, don't end up at, at somewhere around noon or one o'clock doing work when you had intended that day to be rest. You know, that's part of what that dragon looks like is you'll feel guilty around 10 or 11 o'clock when you're trying to just have a restful day and around 10 or 11, the dragon will show up and say, well, you could be working on this or you could be working on that or you're being lazy and you got to kill that sucker right there where he stands because that is the day you designated for something else. Then you start to feel guilty at the end of the day because you didn't rest like you planned and you got distracted and you feel guilty about that. So that dragon wants to smack you on both sides of your face. You know what? It's you or it's the dragon. I don't know if you remember that cartoon we saw when we were growing up as kids, but there was the, the dog and the wolf showing up to work every day and, and they were friends. But then when the factory whistle blew, they chased each other. And then at the end of the day, they'd say, well, you know, I'll be chasing you again tomorrow. And the dog goes, yep. I, or the coyote or wolf goes, yep, I know. See you tomorrow. Well, that's kind of how the dragon is. The dragon clocks out and clocks back in the next morning going, well, you know, I'm going to try to get in your way today. I know, and you know I'm going to have to kill you. So we talk about that a lot on day one. Like, what are you susceptible to? What gets you off track? What makes you want to pull the pin? And if you imagine in your mind a railroad train, right? So it's got an engine on the front. It's got cars in the middle. It's got a caboose on the back. I always like to ask people, what makes you want to decouple from the train, and just let your railroad car go this way while the train goes the other way. Like, I got to get off this train. I'm pulling the pin. I'm pulling the plug. I'm disconnecting from this sucker. What makes you want to do that? If we identify some of those things and build your self-awareness, you'll be ready for those things. And when you get bigger than the dragon, the dragon will be easily killed. If the dragon's bigger than you, he'll kill you. So that's what we talk about a lot on day one. And I would like for you to be here. June 27th is the day we'll be talking about all that stuff. And then the 28th and 29th are day two and three. You missed the early bird deadline. Sorry, it's gone back to 775. But hey, well worth it. It's a big value. If at the end of it, you think you haven't gotten value, I'll just hand your money back to you because I want you to enjoy it. I want you to get something out of it, and I want you to get a lot of value. Another thing that's kind of on my mind this morning is we're going to be talking about communication. So have you noticed that people overuse PowerPoint slides? Oh, yeah. So what are some of the ways people use PowerPoint slides when they really don't need to? 
Something that I always teach in my classes on public speaking is about presentation aids and how those aids should actually be useful to the audience in either having them understand a complex topic or you to be able to explain a complex topic. So if you're essentially saying exactly what's on your presentation slide, that's not useful. I hate that. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason for you to talk. We can just sit there and read it faster than you can speak it. I don't like to be a jerk, but I really want to raise my hand and go, oh, I can read. Right. You know. Exactly. And then you're distracted because you're not looking at the person that's presenting, you're reading, or now you're zoning out because now you know that's going to be that type of presentation. Don't you also feel like that person's kind of lazy? Yeah. Because they don't really want to know their right. stuff. They just want to read it. They almost looked unprepared. And while as a student, that's nice because then they have note cards up that are on the screen to help prompt them. It's not very professional. And especially when you get into a professional setting where you're having to pitch something, you need to have that credibility that shows that I know this subject and I can speak on it without having a PowerPoint presentation prompt me. I think it can be helpful if you have graphs and charts. And, oh, definitely. You know, visuals. That's worth a slide. Other than that, just give me like bullet. Right. Listing numbers over and over, people can't remember that. So having a visual representation of numbers is much easier for them to see. And I think most audience members are this way. I am way more interested in the speaker than they think I am. I want to hear what their thoughts are. I don't want it like splashed on the PowerPoint slide in eight point font. Well, and then it leaves no room for impromptu. Like to be able to, you know, add on to it or go in a different direction if you want to, because suddenly you're beholden to this outline that's now up on the screen that everyone can see. Guy Kawasaki shared with me one time, he was with Apple for a long time, and he's he's kind of this really sought-after expert in the tech startup world. But he shared with me his 10, 20, 30 formula with PowerPoint slides. No more than 10 slides, no more than 20 minutes, and 30-point font. Mm. That's you can only get so much on there at 30-point font, plus everybody in the room can see 30-point font, right? Mm -hmm. And 20 minutes, you need to have your stuff down so you don't go over that, especially on pitches mm -hmm. for startups, for investors and stuff, but no more than 10 slides. Like, you've got to get your story down to 10, right? which I think is a strong formula to use to discipline yourself. Make to it do more that. concise. When I was in New Orleans, Jeff Hoffman was there, and uh, he was given a keynote address. He's the Priceline.com guy, and he was talking about how he had been on a sales call, a few sales calls with a salesperson, and the first client that they went to, they had a 20-slide presentation. There were 20 slides in it, and the client said, oh, that's very interesting. I'm kind of interested. I'll get back to you. And they never heard from that client again. They went out on this one call, though, and they got to their second slide. And the client goes, oh, my gosh, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I need. What do we need to do to get started? And Jeff goes, I said to my sales team, how do we get more second slide clients? Like, if the second slide is that interesting, what do we need the other 18 slides for? I think we get caught up in that. I know salespeople get caught up in that where... I don't even like PowerPoint slides on a sales presentation, but I know some people, they do, and that's fine. If you've got an extremely complex pitch, I guess, you know, but who's going to, like, remember all that complex stuff in a less than an hour interaction? Well, and you have to think about the purpose of what you're speaking on. 
you know, in the leadership retreat, yours is meant to be more lecture and teaching and people will take notes from it. So there's an understanding that there's going to be words that are up on the screen for people to, you know, be able to rewrite or to have record of. But in a sales pitch, it's a completely different setting. So you really have to evaluate the situation that you're speaking in. Well, even in that, I want it to be 50% me and 50% them. Mm -hmm. I don't want to stand there and talk for an hour and a half in a piece of the exponential leadership retreat. I want at least half of that time spent with them. If we have an interaction, there's going to be a lot more learning there than if it's just me standing there talking to them. They can watch a video for that, right? So what we want to do here on this communication pie chart is on our piece of paper, we want to draw a circle like a pie. What we want to do is in this chart, we want to slice it up according to percentage of how much time do we spend, and here are the four categories, listening, speaking, reading, and writing. Listening, speaking, reading, writing. So we want to divide up the pie in the percentages for each one of these four for the 100% of the pie. I haven't thought about this prior because I wanted to do this on the fly, so I'm, I'm going to do mine. Uh, let's see, I'll do it kind of this way. And you folks uh, listening to the podcast, do yours too. And let us know how your pie turned out at info info at clearvisiondevelopment.com. I could probably work on this all day and overthink it, but I'm going to try to make it kind of easy. Bill, you have yours? I do. Okay. So how'd your pie slice up? I would put 50% reading. Okay. So is that the biggest piece of pie? Yes. Okay. The next largest listening. And what percent did you give that? 25 all right, so you only got 25% of your pie left Yes. for two more things. Yes, and writing would be my lowest. I'll go 10 and 15 for speaking. You are fairly quiet. I am. Yeah, that causes me to rethink mine too because every time you hear somebody else's, you rethink yours. Okay, Whitney, what do you got? Well, immediately I knew most of my pie was going to be speaking because that's what I do a lot is just talk. Um, so I put 50% speaking, <laughs> in all honesty, and then 25% of listening, and then divided the rest of my pie between reading and writing. My goal is to get the reading to get more this year. That's already been a, a goal for me. Because I'm a coach, listening is way in far above anything. So I put 60% of my pie is listening. Hmm. Uh, because when you have a coaching session with an executive, I don't win by talking. I win by listening, right? To really listen to my client. Or if I'm working with an executive team, uh, my goal is to get them to spend more time talking rather than me, right? So I would say my goal is, I don't know if this is really my goal or what I really do, but I would like to think 60% of my time is spent listening. Mm-hmm. And I guess that would also be higher if you're an audio book person rather than a reading book person, right? I'm more of a reading book person, so I put 30% as reading. So listening and reading takes up 90% of my pie. And then I've got 5% between writing and speaking. And people are like, well, I thought you speak a lot. Well, I do, 
but not for days. I mean, you know, for hour maybe or hour and a half, or if I'm teaching a class in a management school type setting or something, that might be the most four hours out of the day. Uh, but even that is divided up in interaction between me and the student. My goal on writing is a thousand words a day. So I try to write at least a thousand words a day. That's what I've kind of committed to. But I'd still say out of the words I'm using in a day, that's still only 5%. Because I know I read way more words than a thousand. So I would say that's at 30. Listening 60, reading 30, writing 5, speaking 5. What was your speaking again? 50%. I'd say that's probably true. I mean, I'm probably 10% of your speaking. (laughs) If I come around to your office or whatever, it's usually something pointed. I mean, how many times do I, how's it going? And we just, it doesn't happen very often. It's usually something very direct, you know, or Mm -hmm. there's a purpose for it or whatever. And I'm just not very good at the trivial Mm -hmm. talk or whatever. Do any revelations or anything come to light for you out of this communication pie? Well, it's something I already knew. I don't write enough. Let me just ask you this question. When you wrote it down and you started putting percentages with it and you really thought about it, did it make it more real? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the whole purpose, like at the Exponential Leadership Retreat, is most of the time you know when you go to the doctor what they're going to say before you get there. But when you sit with the doctor and he says it to you, it gets real then, right? Right. Yeah, you need to lose weight. You need to eat better. You need to exercise. And you're like, okay, I thought all that before I got here. But since you Mm -hmm. said it, I need to do it. I wasn't really sure where creating fits in. Thinking, I guess. But that's, is that a communication aspect? I put it more as reading because Mm. I don't know. It's hard to explain it. How much in the creative process do you employ talking to other people? Like, so in speaking, that would like be a piece of that. Brainstorming. So some people actually create by talking. Like you can tell they don't have any idea where they're going when they start talking, but Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. doing it. That's how they're thinking it out is by talking. Does that make sense? Yeah. How much of your creative process is in doing that? Sitting around spitballing, talking, sharing ideas. I would say 25% of my time. But a lot of your time is with a mouse and a computer, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And I am communicating, you know, a message. Mm -hmm. So any revelations for you in putting this pie down? You know, I have to confront something I already knew where I'm the type of person sometimes in a social setting where I'm waiting for my turn to talk instead of as much as of listening. And I knew that was something that I do. And but putting it down here, it's like, okay, maybe that pie on speaking can go a little bit less and the listening and the reading and the writing can go a little bit more. But I think that this chart differs every place that I'm at. Like here, this wouldn't be my chart. You know, this would be maybe more of like my at-home chart where I'm not writing or I'm reading maybe only an hour a day. But like, you know, I just spent my morning writing and reading for what, four hours? So, and barely talking to anyone. And so what I'd like folks at home or wherever you are listening to it and you're playing along, I want you to think of the pie as a whole. So in a day, right, in a typical day, through your home time, through your work, people try to split up as if they're two different people. We have different segments of our life, but we're still us, right? So think of it in terms of take a typical day in my life. Where do I slice this up? All right, here's one more thing I want to I ask. So out to the side of your pie, 
I want to know how much time do you spend clarifying or verifying information? So somebody communicates with you and you need to clarify what they are saying or you're not sure you understand. So you've got to verify you're sure you know what they meant. So how much time percentage would you say you spend on clarifying and verifying? I don't think a lot of time was spent on that. Yeah. What percentage would you give it? 15. Okay. Whitney? I think I'd put mine more up to like the 30%. I'll think about the conversation I had with my husband last night, and he was talking about his new research, his new article that he is researching, and I'm having to ask a lot of questions because I don't have the background that he does. And then I think about here where I want to make sure I'm clarifying what my client's needs are so that way I have all that information going into it. Yeah, so, so out of the speaking that I do, that 5%, probably 90% of it is clarifying or verifying hmm. because that's what good coaches do. So they say a lot of words like, let me make sure I understand. Are you saying X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. Or did you mean to say X, Y, and Z? So you find yourself doing that a lot to make sure you're understanding correctly or on the same page. The other way I'd kind of think about this question is how much time do you spend when you're transmitting a message, making sure it's clear and easily verifiable? Believe me, the emails that I read on a daily basis, I don't think people spend a lot of time <laughs> with that because it causes the other person to ask, you know, what do you mean by that? Or are you sure you want us to do that or you know something along those lines but in communicating well I think you've got to spend some time looking at the message you're sending and going is there any way this could possibly be misunderstood and I don't think a lot of people spend time on that so here's the kind of little tip I'll leave with you before we move on good communication skills will build your self-esteem so it will make you feel better about yourself the more you're a good communicator and a good transmitter of information. And I know some people think it's cool to kind of dumb down their language. And I would tell you the opposite, that you'll feel much better about yourself if you speak better, you write better, and you do a better job of communicating. My mentor and my coach told me once, he said, you ought to be personally offended anytime you see a word you don't know what it means. He said, you see a word you don't understand, you ought to take that highly offended. He said, and and you ought to go immediately to the dictionary and look up that word. So you never get in that position again. And I've talked to some people where I needed a thesaurus with me to understand what they were saying, but they did not think, well, they're going to think I'm some so-and-so because I'm not dumbing down my communication. I don't think you should ever do that. So we'll be talking about communication all this month. I hope you had a good time doing the pie chart. We'll be back with our special guest next on Better Than Before. Are you ready to up your game? Attend the Exponential Leadership Retreat from June 27th through 29th. In these three days, you'll receive personalized leadership coaching in a small group setting led by Tony Richards. Learn to communicate like a leader, understand your motivators, and differentiate yourself from your peers. As a business coach and consultant, I work with leaders every day to help them up their game and lead their team to victory. 
During this leadership development experience, you will receive the tools you need to unlock your potential. Invest in yourself and gain the same access to Tony that his C-level clients receive. Register for the Exponential Leadership Retreat online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Well, we're back here on Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, your host, and joining us today is Nick Allen from Manor Roofing and Restoration. Hi, Nick. How you doing, Tony? I'm so glad you had a chance to come by and be with us today. I've got several questions I want to ask you, and you've got several roles and responsibilities in the community. But first of all, tell me a little bit about Manor Roofing, your company. So Manor Roofing, we are an exterior remodeler. One of the things that we kind of fall into the trap a little bit with is we're so much more than just about roofs. About 50-60% of our business is roofing related. A lot of that is metal roofing related. And we do traditional types of roofing, architectural shingles. A real growth area or growth areas for our business over the last number of years has been in siding and windows and replacement decks and guttering. So really there's not much that we don't do on the exterior of a home. That's what I was going to ask. Like, what do you not do on exteriors? We're not brick masons, but uh, that's pretty much about it. Yeah. And you have done commercial too, right? We do. Yeah. Typically most years commercial occupies about 20, 25% of our business. Cool. And you're on the chamber board this year here in Columbia. I am. Yeah. One way of kind of giving back. Yep. We'll get to some of those responsibilities in a second, but tell me a little bit about growing up. Where were you raised? I was actually born in Mexico, Missouri. My parents were living in Wellsville, Missouri, but most of my growing up was in Warrington, Missouri, about about an hour and hour and 15 minutes east of here, in between here and St. Louis and pretty simple upbringing. Warrington is kind of small town USA, graduating class of about 128 people and played quarry league baseball and basketball and Pretty simple times for the most part. Kind of always knew that I was going to wind up in Columbia, Missouri at Mizzou. And so that was always an aspiration of mine. And that's what started my, I guess, my love affair with Columbia, Missouri. That's cool. And you've got quite a broad age range in your family, too. Like I do. You've got everything from college students to... Uh, well, you tell everybody about well, your family. In fact, I have my first legacy already. And so my oldest, Katie, she graduated from Mizzou in the fall of 2015. So she's a Mizzou grad and lives in Oklahoma City now. I've got one that's at Mizzou, a sophomore, actually getting, I guess she'll start her junior year this fall. That's Sarah. And then I've got an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old. Wow. Uh, one getting ready to head into middle school and one getting ready to start the third grade. I'm a big fan of your wife, too, Carrie. I first met her in Leadership Columbia 2012. She was at State Farm for a long time, but now she's moved on to some new stuff, too. She has, yeah. So she spent almost 20 years with State Farm. And then in October of last year, she made a transition, and she's now the assistant director of HR for MoDOT she really enjoys that. Cool. Now, tell me a little bit about your professional career before you decided to go into business. I always knew I was going to go to Mizzou, and I got a business degree from Mizzou. When I got out of college, I graduated in May of 91, 
and pretty much went right into the steel business. I had done an internship while in college at a steel processing plant over in Granite City, Illinois, and then wound up taking a position with National Steel Corporation at their headquarters up near South Bend, Indiana. And that kind of started my journey into the building products industry. So for roughly 15 years, I was in the corporate world, mostly selling steel to building manufacturers, guys that put metal roofs and metal walls, or at least manufacture those products. Yeah. And so then when did the seed of this idea come where you thought, I need to have my own business? I always had that hankering. My dad was pretty much self-employed for most of his life. He's an auctioneer. Heck, he sold yellow pages in his early days. Always pretty much a self-employed person. And and I always had that hankering. I just really didn't know what it was that I was going to wind up doing. After you know, nearly 15 years in the corporate world, I knew I didn't want to do that forever. That's where I recognized that metal roofing was really enjoying a resurgence within both residential and commercial. So the idea became, hey, why don't I get set up where I can travel to the state doing residential and commercial metal installs because there really wasn't a good network of qualified contractors doing that. And that was one of the things that I heard from the manufacturers that I was selling to that, man, if we could just get more contractors out in the network pushing the metal, the demand is there. It was really a lack of qualified contractors that were available to them. So then, uh, as all business owners have, you have had, I'm sure, surprises in business. So what are some of the surprises that you've had, both positive and negative, in owning your own business? We're fortunate enough to get to work with probably somewhere near 300 or so customers of each year. You know, the relationships that you build out of that, how strong they become and the friends that you make. You know, we're doing roughly 75% of our business is on the residential side of things. And so you're doing home improvements for what is most people's single biggest investment. And so you're with them, you're helping fulfill their expectations, and you really develop a lot of good friendships. People that I still know, I ran into a customer of ours that we put their metal shingle roof on their house in 2007, and they happened to be sitting out on their front porch. This is just a few weeks ago. I was out with one of our sales guys looking at a property and ran into them, and it's just like, you know, just good friendship. You have all these people in your previous life telling you that if we could just get contact with contractors and we could get these uh, middle roofs into the marketplace and you're thinking, oh, you know what, I could I could maybe provide that outlet or whatever. Did that show up right away or did it take a while? Did you have doubts there for a while or? There is no doubt I had doubts. Yeah. I can remember my dad telling me, he's like, son, what in the heck are you doing And it's literally, like they say, a number of, you know, nights laying in bed thinking, what did I do? You know, am I doing the right thing? Slowly but surely, you know, you just started getting a little bit of traction here or there. After a couple years and a very encouraging wife who hung in there and was telling me, don't give up. You're making progress, even though sometimes it felt to me that the progress was going so slow yeah, it it eventually the traction became there and then just kind of kept fueling on itself. So now how did Rich Hollinger come into your life? 
Rich was doing some work for, he was actually selling for another roofing company. You know, as I mentioned, I started out just primarily focused on metal roofs. One way that our business grew was, you know, we'd get people that say, well, you know, I've got a different type of project or I'm only going to be in this home for a short period of time. And really a metal roof, the longevity and durability, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to make that investment. Do you do more traditional types? And I started out in that where I would subcontract some work through the company that Rich was working for. And so he and I kind of developed a friendship and a real strong friendship. He eventually wind up coming to work for us. Yeah, Rich used to be my neighbor, Rich and his wife at the time, Amy, and they worked uh, with Nick. And unfortunately, Rich passed away a few years ago. But just a heck of a guy. People still talk about the things that Rich did for them. Absolutely. When he worked for you and just things he did for people. Absolutely. And, um, you know, he was a significant part of our growth and kind of putting us on the map because he was a business owner himself for a number of years. Rich Exteriors. Rich Exteriors. That's right. He had quite the following and represented us. And, you know, he taught me a ton about how to deal with people in this market and just a great guy. So if you had a chance to start another business, a lot of times entrepreneurs, uh, they just like starting businesses. Would you start another construction type business or would you start something else? It would very likely be in the home improvement type industry or building. I love coming in and, you know, seeing the fruits of our labor, you know, literally where you're making a drastic change or making a real improvement. And so I do believe that I may have one more business in me. I've thought that for some time. I plan on maybe working another 15 to 20 years or so, and who knows where that might take me. So then as the leader of your company, as the leader of Manor, what do you think you're pretty good at as far as leading the company? So in the construction business, you know, the one thing that you know that you're going to be dealing with almost constantly is change. The weather's changing. Schedules change. Employee doesn't come in that morning, so you're not going to get as much done that day. Deliveries from suppliers. So there's always something that is changing about our business on almost a daily basis. And the one thing that, for whatever reason, I think I do pretty decently is I don't allow that to eat me up and I don't panic, you know, because there's plenty of opportunity for that where if you're not able to handle that change and and talk it through with whether it be, you know, an employee or a homeowner, whichever, you just really have to be prepared to deal with things constantly adjusting in our business. What about struggles? Where do you come up short or where do you struggle as a leader? So I'm a perfectionist and, you know, I have my challenges with just letting things go. And I really have a good team in place now and it's taken a while to get there. But now, you know, one of my major priorities is just get out of their way, you know, and it's one of those things where all of the important stuff doesn't have to come across my desk every day. That's one of the keys that I'm really working on now is I've got the right people in place. Let them run it. Yeah. A friend of mine just wrote a book and one of the chapters in the book is make yourself useless. Yeah. 
And that is the most <laughs> disempowering feeling because once you make yourself useless, you're like, now what do I do? Right. But what it does is it frees you up to focus on other things. Absolutely. So Leadership Columbia 2013, that was your class. Yes. And you actually 2014, 2014, yeah, 2014. right. Okay. Yeah. 2014. And now you and Paige Harper have come back, which I always love. I love it when people, especially if they've been my students in the class, they come back and contribute and help lead that class through another year. So that's what you and Paige are doing here in 2018. What's that been like this year? It's been a really awesome experience. You know, you're in a little bit of a different spot where you're able to observe more and just kind of watch the class dynamic and you're in my you know, position yeah I get to do that every year so and it's been a lot of fun so the class is comprised of 30 individuals plus an individual from the chamber so we got 31 in the class and they're from a wide range of businesses and you know people that work for the city all kinds of different walks of life they come together and we're exposing them to a variety of elements of the city of Columbia and how the city operates. And so we have individual days. We meet roughly every two weeks. There's a different topic that you're covering and different area of the the city that you're exploring. And just watching, you know, some of the eye-opening experiences where people might have lived here their entire lives and they didn't realize that, oh, this is part of what's either available or what's going on in the city of Columbia it's a lot of fun. And as you know, our class, about two thirds of them are high eyes on the, in the disc profile, which means they're pretty engaging, outgoing, social. They have a lot to say. Yeah, they have a lot to say. Never at a, at a loss for words. It's been a fun class. I can tell they think I'm lying to them because in orientation every year, I tell them a couple things. I say, number one, you look at this as a huge commitment, and it is. It goes from January to the 1st of June, but it's going to go faster than you think, and it's going to be over before you know it. And this week is is it. So this Wednesday is our last session, right? and then graduation is next Tuesday. And it really has flown by. It's a big commitment, as you said, yeah. but it really does move fast. And then I tell them, you're going to want to do it again, and you can't. Yeah, You can only go through it once. Now you can come back and contribute as a co-chair for either a day or for the whole program. And I think that's why a lot of people want to come back and contribute to the program is because they really like that experience. It's a shared experience, right? It is, yeah. And you even have an employee that works for you that was in your class, right? I do, yeah. Yep, so Gavin Bryan, who works for us, he's in the class this year. And this is our fourth or fifth year of having someone participate consecutive years you know where we've had somebody in the class i was thinking more though that your sales manager was in your class she was yes exactly so amanda wooden that's where she and i first met was in our leadership columbia class so as ceo of manor tell me about your top three priorities for this year so in the construction business one of the things that you know at a national level that we are all dealing with is a shortage on the labor side of things and i'm a firm believer that he who controls their labor over the next several years in our line of business is going to wind up being near the top, one of the kings. And so we're really working hard this year on different ways of attracting, retaining the recruiting piece, and just trying to grow the labor side of ours because it's a constraint for us. I believe we can produce more if we had good, capable 
qualified guys that uh, we could add into our fold. And I think you've told me before, too, on the labor side of things, when you're talking about roofing and things of that nature, that is not something you do long into your career. That's right. Right. So you're looking for pretty youthful people. You are. And, you know, we had the downturn in that 2008 through 11, 12 time frame. And what happened in our industry is we really didn't need much coming into the pipe in terms of the labor side of things. And then when things took off, they turned really quickly. You know, you, you bring somebody into our business and it's really a couple years before you're getting anything real meaningful out of them. The amount of training that needs to go into it, there's not that young influx. And so we've got an aging workforce that you know, it's kind of falling out of the back end of it and we need more on the front end. Because they want to get to like a supervisory role or something, I'm sure. And there's only limited number of those jobs. That's correct. Yeah. All right. So labor's one. What's another couple? Yeah. And I mentioned that uh, I've got the right team in place. And so me getting out of the way and staying out of the way and just kind of letting them do their thing. That's probably my second biggest major priority. And let the horses run. Yeah, absolutely. What I am spending more of my time in is diving deeper into our financials, making sure that I understand at a very deep level, because they really tell a story to you. You can learn a ton from knowing your financials. And the other piece to that is we're holding monthly staff meetings, and it's not just staff. It's every single employee in our business, in our company that uh, I'm sharing a lot of that financial information with them. Obviously, construction business, we're very seasonal. In the January, February timeframe, where there's not a ton of activity in terms of what we're producing during that timeframe, a lot of your fixed cost is still there. You don't get away from that. Our employees understanding the investment that you go through in the early months until we get to that period where things do ramp up quite a bit, just them knowing that it makes them better decision makers during those time frames so that it's an easier you know easier path through those times you're a lot like me you like hanging out with business people and business owners you like talking shop why do you think some people are successful in their business and why other people aren't you know it's probably the recognition of when to add you know the right additional person, the right piece of equipment. And it really kind of all goes back to, you know, I like to look at it better as why do many fail? And it's, they probably try to do way too much themselves. They fail to recognize when's the right time to add into their business. And, you know, I've done the same thing for sure. I've waited too long and I look back and I said, boy, I wish I would have done that, you know, a year or two ahead of time. But, you know, you're always watching your overhead and trying to be cognizant of when and where you're spending money. That is, that's one of the biggest things to me. I think what you said too, is a lot of people just don't know their numbers. You know, they don't know the story that's being told. They kind of get to the end of the year and they look at the bottom line and like, well, okay, we had, we had a decent year. We had a not so decent year. Yeah. Knowing it much further ahead of time, I think is a real key. Yeah. And what's contributing to those things and and this, that, and the other. Before I get into my rapid fire questions, just one more thing. What's one thing about manor that you constantly hear that people may not know that surprises you? We still get a lot of people that say, oh, I didn't know you do anything outside of roofs, you know, and that always makes me cringe because 
We advertise a lot. Our sales guys do a good job of being out there and, and educating much of the market. That is the thing that probably would surprise me the most is when I hear that, when, I, when we get that feedback of, oh, I didn't know you do windows or I didn't know you do decks. Those types of things. Yeah, you're like, it's all over our website. Right. You know, yeah. how could you not see that we do decks or, or whatever? All right, so let's go through these closing questions for you. I'm going to hit you with these in rapid fire succession. It's standard list of questions I ask everybody who comes on the show. So what's the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? I would say being at the 97 Masters, the first year the Tiger won it. I was there over the weekend. I can remember watching Jack Nicholas hole out on the eighth i was sitting at the eighth green and watching him hole out for eagle oh wow number one hero in your life probably my mom my mom and dad split up when i was really young and she remarried later but just watching what she went through and all the hard work and just kind of holding things together good top value you subscribe to be genuine to everyone you meet most important person in your life jesus christ your favorite thing Wind in the face, riding on the boat down at the Lake of the Ozarks. Oh, right on. Favorite food? Sushi. Most beautiful place you've been to? I would say Costa Rica. Hawaii's close, but probably Costa Rica. If you could describe success in one word, what would it be? Freedom. How do you want to be remembered? As someone who gave back. Advice for a younger Nick Allen? Travel more. What's your favorite sound? A well-struck driver off of the first tee. And what's the best lesson you've learned? I would say talk less and listen more. That's cool. Thanks for being on today. Tell everybody how to get in touch with you or where to find your website. And if they need some exterior work done, how would they go about that? You can go to our website, which is www.exploremanner.com. Or call us at 573-445-4770. And I'm sure on your website there's some examples of some of the different kinds of work you've done. And is there a way for them to contact you through a form or something? Yeah, there's a form on the website that they can submit. Great. Well, man, I've enjoyed doing Leadership Columbia with you this year. It's been great. You're a great guy. Enjoy our friendship. And thanks for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Appreciate Nick Allen being on the show today. When we come back, I'm going to have this week's leadership lesson and business lesson for you as Better Than Before continues. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. Tony Richards here, you there. 
we wanted to talk in this part of the show about your leadership or business lesson of the week. And I'm reading a book right now called The Power of Moments. It's by Chip and Dan Heath. And it was recommended to me by one of my CEO clients, Mark Finner of MFA Oil. And his whole executive team is finishing up the book right now. And we're going to be talking about what we gleaned from the book, how we can apply it in the business, how we can apply it with the various staffs of each of the executives coming up at our next management retreat. And I thought I'd share it with you because it's a pretty powerful book. Here's what I'm learning from this informative piece of work. When we rate experiences, when we have experiences, we tend to base them on two extreme baselines, the best or worst moment on one end, and the end of the moment on the other end. Psychologists call this the peak end rule. And in identifying a defining moment, the authors of the book focus on four elements. First element is elevation, an interruption of everyday activities, often accompanied by a boost in sensory pleasures and an added element of surprise. So you experience an elevation moment when something unexpected happens that comes out of nowhere maybe your loved one surprises you with some flowers or shows up at work and going to take you out to dinner or something but that's an elevation moment the second kind of defining moment is insight it's where your brain gets rewired and the understanding of ourselves and the world become you get insights and things become a little clearer that's what the exponential leadership retreats all about is gaining insight on yourself and be able to rewire your brain a little and have a deeper understanding of yourself and also of the world that you work in the third kind of moment is a pride moment and that's a moment where you've got some kind of achievement or some kind of encouragement comes along and it boosts your self-esteem or your ego and then the fourth kind of moment is a connection moment where I noticed over Memorial Weekend, HBO was rerunning that show Band of Brothers. It's a great show about how this whole company of men bonded during World War II. And so you have a connection moment when you have a shared experience with some other people and it forms a really special memory and you probably want to repeat it over and over. These four different defining moments classifications can have both positive and negative moments when you experience them. They also talk about three overarching moments that you're going to have or theme moments. And so the first kind is a transition moment. And a transition moment is exactly what you would think a transition would be going from one thing or to another thing or going from one place to another place. That could be anything from a, a shift in your career. So you move from one job to another job. You move from one company to another company. You move on from a relationship with one person and you start a new relationship with another person. Or a transition moment also might be where you lost a loved one and now life is going to be different. You're in transition from life with that person to life without that person. The second kind of overarching moment that we experience is a milestone moment where you have 
milestones in your life that really change or alter the course of your life, like when you graduated high school or when you graduated college or when you went from renting an apartment to actually purchasing a home or something like that where the whole course of your life has changed, but you look at it in a way where it's like, okay, that was a real strong milestone in my life that I will remember that is kind of taken me from this level to another level. And then there are pit moments, P-I-T, pit moments. And those are low level type things. Maybe you got fired or you lost a job or you maybe lost some money in the stock market. You made a poor decision that cost you in some way. Maybe you got a divorce or something that sent you into a lower level of your life. And the whole point about defining and being able to recognize these moments is that there's always something you can do. So you have the opportunity to either take the victim mentality where these moments happen to you and you're powerless to do anything, or you take the empowerment mindset where there's always some action that you can take to either change your viewpoint, change your feelings, or change what's going on around you, or at least change your thinking or your experience about it. And so there's a bunch of strategies for all of these moments in the book. And I think this really comes in handy when we have moments that are out of our control, like a transition moment or a pit moment. And then we have a plan for how to deal with those in a healthy way. And I think that's a big part of it too. When these moments occur in our life, do we deal with them in a healthy way or do we deal with them in an unhealthy way? So a healthy way would be like, if you're going through a divorce, a healthy way would be to look at it as you know, I now have opportunity to meet more people or to bring more people into the void that's been created in my life. An unhealthy way would be, well, I'm going to be drinking a whole lot more because that's my way of coping with this situation. So having a healthy plan to how to deal with these moments and then knowing that you have the power and ability to create those milestone moments, not only for yourself, but where this is really handy for business owners and executives that have staff is you don't have to wait for something good to happen. You can make something good happen. You can create milestone moments and you can create pride moments with your team with a little intention and a little planning. You can create that. I know here at Clear Vision, we try to do that once a quarter where our whole staff does something together that kind of creates that shared connection, those pride moments about things that we've accomplished and we have a little fun together. We did a murder mystery role play game not long ago that everybody participated in and turned out to be a lot of fun. My favorite strategy out of the book as I was reading it was interrupt the routine. That was a strategy. And the basic premise to that is that anything that is done too much or through a really strong, uninterrupted routine can lose its effectiveness over time. We as human beings all get into ruts, and it's where we tend to just continue to do it over and over, and we don't even realize that we're doing it. And routine can set you free and really empower you, or it can really get you into a stagnant place where every now and then you just need to bust up the routine. You know the old adage, absence makes the heart grow fonder. When something goes away for a little while, I always used to say there would be a great country song written, how can I miss you if you won't go away? And so sometimes when things go out of our life, it's good for us to miss it for a while. And it seems fresh, new and exciting when it comes back in. You know, there's a phrase called old hat. Things get to be old hat. But if that 
old hat was put away in storage and you hadn't seen it in 10 years and all of a sudden you're like oh there's my hat I think can be pretty effective breaking up the routine doing something random can be effective in the book they call it strategic surprise so I kind of like that that can be used some pretty effective and memorable moments great book it's called the power of moments it's by Chip and Dan Heath and I would highly recommend that it's not your typical leadership type book it's basically got some different kinds of applications for things that happen in our lives every single day and I think could be really effective for you. That wraps up this week's edition of Better Than Before. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can get our podcast in any of the usual places, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. I would ask that you please leave us a positive review because that would really help us. And hey, you can put it down on your list of doing something nice for someone today. If you're a subscriber, You don't have to look for our social media feeds and us to post when the latest edition comes out because you'll get a little notification from your subscription service that says, hey, a new episode of Better Than Before is now available for your listening pleasure. So there's benefits to being a subscriber. You will never miss an episode. Plus, it helps us out, too. We love everybody who is listening to our podcast on a weekly basis. Thanks for your support. And for those of you who haven't subscribed, Hit that subscribe button and make us part of your regular weekly routine. And we will endeavor to keep making the show better and deliver things to you that you find useful and helpful. Until next time, and I talk to you again, this is Tony Richards for Bill and Whitney saying, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.